Welcome back to the Prince John podcast. So we are in part three of the gospel series. This has been an interesting series that we have been doing, and uh, I'm really excited about this. So in the first two episodes, we covered a lot of things. So if this is the first time that you're hearing this, I suggest that you go back into part one, part two, and go through it. There are so many interesting things that we talked about, which I think would be very useful for your life in Christ. So let's directly get into this. Today's episode, we will be discussing on the union at the cross. We as believers know that Christ died for us at the cross of Calvary and that he died for our sins. That's something that has been taught in churches and it's something that a lot of believers do understand. And we know that Christ had to die on the cross because his death was necessary for our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. The scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And this was also mentioned in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, where it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So, Jesus' blood was the perfect atonement for our sins. But the point that I want to make for this podcast is that many of us are unaware of the fact that what happened at the cross is more profound than what we are taught in churches these days. It was not just that Christ died for our sins as an atonement for our sins, but also that we were set free. Yes, we were set free. We got liberty at the cross. We were liberated in Christ Jesus. Now, how did it all start? When God created Adam and Eve, he created them righteous, or in other words, they were in a state of perfect innocence and they had a right standing with God. That's what righteousness is actually. It's a right standing with God. So that's why God looked at everything, including them, and he saw that it was good. But then God gave one command, and we know about this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, he said, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat from it you shall surely die. That was one law that was given. And the law had a consequence, right? And the consequence was that they would die. The actual Hebrew, when you read it, you see that the word surely die is die die or mut mut, which is the Hebrew word there. It's often understood that it says dying you shall die. You can see there are two parts to it. One part was the dying and the second part was the die. So God was saying that the day you shall eat of it, dying you shall die. The dying part refers to the physical death because you know that Adam did not die that day. Adam died 900 years later. And we know that one day for God, it's like a thousand years. So technically, he died on the same day. Now, there was also a spiritual death which happened instantly because the moment they sinned, they died spiritually. This means that they lost their connection with God. 
So when Adam was born of God, he was born as a son of God. But now everyone who was born of sinful Adam became sinful because they were born after their own kind. Hence, Adam multiplied after his own kind and sin multiplied. You can see this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. As you know, there were two trees in the garden. And this is written in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And one tree was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there, were, there was also another tree, which is the tree of life. That meant anyone who ate of that tree would live on forever. Now, as soon as Adam sinned, he could still eat of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever. Now, you see that God prevented man from doing that. And we might think, why would God do such a thing? I thought God was on our side. But you see, the reason why God did it was out of love. Because if man, if Adam or Eve would have eaten of the tree of life and lived on forever, that would mean they would be completely lost forever. Because there needed to be death in order to have an atonement. So if death was removed and there was no death, they would be completely lost forever in their sinful state and in the physical realm. So that's why God drove Adam as in a way he was preparing to use death, which was the enemy's tool or what the enemy brought in. He was going to use it for good, right? Like Romans says that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, that's not in connection with this, but you see a principle that is working that that is like God's way of doing that. Even after the devil thought that he had outsmarted God, God uses a, a taste of his own medicine by using death itself to outsmart the devil at his own game. So, God did something which was a masterstroke. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world so that we would be holy and blameless before him. He did it before the foundations of the world. By putting us in Christ, one of the many things that happened was that we were in him when Christ was crucified, making us part of the whole process of Jesus walking on earth. When Jesus was crucified, beaten, everything, we were in him. So that's what makes us say, I have been crucified with Christ. Because if we were not in him, we would not be able to say that. I have been crucified with Christ. And Romans 6 verse 4 says that you were baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, why did God go through all the trouble to place us in Christ before the foundations of the earth or that we were baptized into Christ Jesus, according to Romans 6, verse 4, and we were crucified with him at the cross. Why did God have to do or go to such lengths? Now, you see, there were two things that happened at the cross. Now, we were married to the law, and you can see the same thing mentioned in Romans chapter 7, verse 1 to 4. A lot of people think this chapter is Paul's advice on good Christian marriage, but rather it is about the law and how we were married to the law and how God delivered us from the law. In Romans 7 verse 1 to 4, Or do you not know, brethren? For I am speaking to those who know the law, 
that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you were also made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, in this picture in Romans chapter 7, verse 1 to 4, Paul is showing that the our deliverance from the law and he's making the point that there is only one woman and there are two husbands. So this is not about marriage, first of all, because Paul itself makes it very clear in verse 4. Now, the woman is in a very difficult position, for she can only be the wife of one of the two, and, and she is married to Mr. Law. Now, make no mistake, Mr. Law is a very good guy, and... He is he is awesome, amazing, he is holy, but that's where the problem lies, that the husband and wife are totally not suited to one another. He is an astute man, very particular, accurate to every degree, and she, on the other hand, is uh, pretty easygoing. He's very precise about everything, very, very meticulous about everything. Mr. Law wants things to be done perfectly, and if things are not done perfectly, he gets super mad. There's punishment for it. And he's always making demands, and he is doing it for the right reasons, mind you. It's not that he is a bad person, but he is making her do things for the right reasons. He wants things to be perfect. And if she does things well, he will shower her with gifts, and if if she does something wrong... He will punish her in some way or the other. So this is what Mr. Law was doing. Such a nice guy, but his demands are his demands are totally difficult for her, his wife to do. And his demands are perfectly legitimate. There's nothing wrong with what he's asking. So the poor woman is in great distress. She is fully aware that she makes mistakes. But living with such a husband, it's very, very difficult. He wants things to be perfect. Now, by the law, she is married to Mr. Law, right? And the thing is that Mr. Law lives and the law is forever, right? And it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, nothing of the law shall pass away. That means it is always going to be there. So, death was required in order to save from the law. So, what happened? She died. That's what happened. So we are the wife in this case, and the law was our first husband. Now, what happened is that we died with Christ because we were crucified with Christ. And as a result, we died. And what is the significance of that death? The significance of that death is that through our death in Christ Jesus, we were released from our obligation to be married to Mr. Law. We are no longer married to Mr. Law because how? We have died. 
So this is a significant point which Paul is trying to make. It's one side, you see that we have been forgiven of our sins or whatever we have done, and there is atonement and everything. But on the other side, there is liberation. Why? We were under the law, and by being crucified in Christ, we died, and by the death we have in him, we have been freed from the law. So you can see that this was the grand plan which God put into place by placing us in Christ Jesus. Now, also, there is another thing which is happening here. Now, the second thing which happened to us was that the crucifixion delivered us from sin. Sin had dominion in our body, and we were slaves to sin. Now, by dying, by being crucified with Christ at the cross, we have been delivered from the slavery of sin. You see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 5 to 11. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, what does it say? It says that we were united with him in the likeness of his death, and that our old self was crucified with him. And so that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. See what I'm saying here. A lot of people teach that we are saved by grace, but yet sinners. But the Bible clearly teaches us in Romans chapter 6 that our old self was crucified with him. You have died with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ is what is mentioned in Galatians 2, right? In order that the body of sin might be done away with, understand this, it's our body of sin has been done away with so that we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin has no jurisdiction over us. That's the point here. We are no longer slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Understand that there is a principle of sin. The principle of sin had dominion over us because we had a body of sin which was connecting it. So when we were crucified with Christ, our body of sin has been done away with. Our body is not sinful anymore. We don't have a sinful body. We have a crucified body in Christ Jesus. Our body is dead to sin. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. If our body is dead to sin, we are no longer slaves to sin we have been freed from sin. Now, I understand a lot of people would have questions at this point. Why do I sin? And we will answer those questions in the upcoming podcast.
So if we have died with Christ, death no longer is master over us. For the death that Christ died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. This is the gospel here. Consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God. When I died, my old master, sin, still continues to live, but his power over his slave extends as far as the grave and no further. He could ask me to do a hundred and one things when I was a slave and I was forced to do it. But when I'm dead, I have been freed. God's purpose in uniting us to Christ was not just to forgive us of our sins, but that was one significant part of it. Death has dissolved the old marriage relationship so that the woman who was driven to despair by being married to, to Mr. Law, who was so exacting and so demanding, has been freed. And now we are married to Jesus. We are one with him in the spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. And by being one with him, by being baptized into him, what happened was that we were part of that crucifixion. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. And that's what we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 20. It does not say that we will not have any temptations or anything. That's not what the point is here. The point is that, and it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, that sin shall not be a master over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. That means if you were under the law, sin would have some mastery over you. Because you would not be able to keep the law and transgressions would keep on increasing. And, and Paul makes this point in Romans chapter 7 where he says that when he got to know about the law, you shall not covet. Every sort of covetousness increased in him. That's what the point he was making. And what is the what happens with the near union? And why is it happening? So that we will bring forth fruit to God is what's mentioned in Romans 7 verse 4. By the body of Christ, that foolish, sinful woman has died by being in it. We died. That sinful old man was crucified with Christ Jesus. And two things happened. The first thing that happened was that our marriage with Mr. Law was annulled and we are not under the law. And then what happens? There's also, there's also the principle of sin by which we were in slavery to sin. And now we are not in slavery to sin anymore. So we live a life of holiness by living inside out. This is the love of God beyond words. That even at the time of our deepest darkness, he made a way. He pulled a masterstroke just when the devil thought that he had won. He defeated the devil with his own game, which is death. By including us in Christ Jesus, he played a masterstroke there. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. He baptized us in Christ Jesus. And we were crucified with him. We were buried with him. And we were raised with him. And we are seated with him at the right hand of God. We are free. And we know that when Adam was created, he was created in the likeness of God. He was created with a connection with God. 
But then came second Adam. Jesus, when he came to earth, he came as second Adam. But he was born under the law. As once mentioned in Galatians chapter 2, he was born under the law. So he was born so that he would keep the righteous requirements of the law. He did the law perfectly because he was married to the law in that sense. So he kept the law perfectly. And what happened after his crucifixion, just like we were freed from the law, law was not part of what he had to do. And he became a new creation. So Jesus is not the second Adam anymore. He is a new creation. And we are his brothers. And it's a divine generation now. A generation of new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We are free in Christ Jesus. God bless you all.